a focus summary of chapters 1 through 5 of Pride and Prejudice. This novel opens with the now iconic line, It is a truth universally acknowledged, that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. And in doing so, it sets the tone of romance and wry humor that is to follow. The first character to whom we are introduced is Mrs. Bennet, who, having learned that a neighboring estate has been let to a young man of good fortune named Mr. Bingley, prevails upon her husband to call on him as soon as he arrives. Her daughters cannot make his acquaintance until Mr. Bennet has, and meet him they must, since she is already thinking of his marrying one of them. In the banter between them, we glimpse Mrs. Bennet's nerve-ridden desperation to see her daughters married, and Mr. Bennet's sardonic delight in vexing her. He refuses to pay the visit, but he quips that he will send a few lines to Bingley, consenting to his marrying whichever of the girls he chooses. He also teases that he must put in a good word for his favorite daughter Lizzie, who, he says, has something more of quickness about her than her silly and ignorant sisters. But it was never really Mr. Bennet's intention to refuse— he just refused to pass up an opportunity to playfully provoke his wife. He was, in truth, one of the first to visit Mr. Bingley, but even the announcement that he had done so is made provokingly. Seeing Lizzie employed in trimming a hat, Mr. Bennet declares matter-of-factly that he hopes Mr. Bingley will like it. Mrs. Bennet complains that they will never know what Mr. Bingley likes because they are never to visit him themselves, and because Mrs. Long is out of town and can't introduce them, and because Mrs. Long probably wouldn't do it anyway since she's a selfish hypocrite with nieces of her own, and because, besides, she is sick of hearing about Mr. Bingley. Only then does Mr. Bennet dryly comment what a shame that is, since he has already paid a visit to Bingley and they can't escape the acquaintance now. This news is met with an eruption of joy on all sides, and Mr. Bennet's merciless teasing is at once forgotten. Mrs. Bennet says she knew all the while she could count on him, and praises him for the good joke of withholding the news. Fatigued with his wife's raptures, Mr. Bennet goes out, leaving the ladies to conjecture when they might expect a visit from Mr. Bingley, and when they should ask him to dinner. Though Mrs. Bennet and her daughters attack Mr. Bennet with questions about Mr. Bingley, he eludes the skill of them all. It is only through their neighbors, the Lucases, that they learn Bingley to be young, handsome, agreeable, and best of all, planning to be in attendance at the next assembly. All this enlivens Mrs. Bennet's hopes that she might soon see one of her daughters happily settled at Netherfield. A few days later, Mr. Bingley returns Mr. Bennet's visit— and soon after that, an invitation to dinner is dispatched. Mrs. Bennet is quite disconcerted when it is declined, seeming to think it irresponsible that he should have any concerns other than finding a bride among her daughters. But Lady Lucas quiets her fears by suggesting that he had gone to London only to gather a party for the ball. The party of five who appear at the assembly includes Mr. Bingley, good-looking, pleasant, easy-going, and gentlemanlike. His sisters, fine women with an air of fashion. His brother-in-law, a gentleman in appearance only. And Mr. Darcy, who soon draws the attention of all the room by his handsome features, noble mien, and a report of his having ten thousand a year. For half the evening, Darcy is declared more handsome than Mr. Bingley, 
but when his manners prove him to be proud, the tide turns, and he is called unworthy of comparison to his friend. At the ball, Mr. Bingley is lively and sociable, and dances every dance. Mr. Darcy, by contrast, dances just twice, and speaks very little, and only with members of his own party. It is decided. He is the proudest, most disagreeable man in the world. Mrs. Bennet's general dislike for Darcy sharpens into particular resentment when she learns that he had slighted one of her daughters. Finding Darcy standing around by himself, Bingley had pressed his friend to join the dance. Darcy refused, saying that he detests dancing when he is unacquainted with his partner, that there was no one present whose acquaintance he cared to make, and that Bingley was dancing with the only handsome girl in the room. Bingley called Jane the most beautiful creature he had ever beheld, and suggested she might introduce Darcy to her sister Lizzie, who was also very pretty and agreeable. Lizzie, who was standing just behind them, then overheard Darcy call her tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt him. She was left with no cordial feelings toward Darcy, but she told the story to her friends in a spirited manner that reflected her lively, playful disposition. The evening passed off pleasantly for the whole family, with Jane quietly gratified by the attentions of Mr. Bingley, her mother more loudly so, and Lizzie just pleased by her sister's pleasure. Mary took satisfaction in hearing herself called accomplished, and Catherine and Lydia were just glad to have had partners for all the dances. They return home to find Mr. Bennet waiting up for their report, but when his wife regales him with the details of Mr. Bingley's every dance, he complains that if the man had had any compassion for him, he would have sprained his ankle in the first one. When Mr. Bennet refuses to hear a similarly detailed description of the dresses, Mrs. Bennet turns to the topic of Mr. Darcy. She relates with bitterness and exaggeration the story of his rudeness, and calls him a disagreeable, horrid, conceited, and unendurable man. Alone with Elizabeth, Jane confesses her feelings about Mr. Bingley, and their conversation reveals the difference between the two sisters' souls. Jane is all kindness, modesty, and generosity. She praises Bingley for his good breeding, expresses her surprise that he asked her to dance a second time, and speaks well even of his proud and conceited sisters. Elizabeth teases that Bingley's character is completed by his good looks, says there is no gallantry in his wanting to dance with someone five times prettier than every other girl in the room, and listens unconvinced to Jane's defense of the ill-mannered Bingley women. But she gives Jane leave to like Bingley, saying she has liked many a stupider person. Elizabeth says that the ability to be candid without design, to take the good of everyone's character and make it still better, belongs uniquely to Jane. Bingley, we are told, had been left a sizable inheritance by his father, who intended to purchase an estate but did not live to do it. Bingley intended it too, but the easiness of his temper led those who knew him to believe that once comfortably settled at Netherfield, he might just stay there. Bingley and Darcy had a steady friendship, Darcy appreciating Bingley's open and easygoing nature, and Bingley trusting in Darcy's loyalty and the soundness of his judgment. Bingley was sure of being liked wherever he went, but Darcy, with his haughty and uninviting manners, was continually giving offense. 
Bingley, for example, reflected fondly on the Meryton Assembly, with its friendly people and pretty girls, and said he could not conceive of an angel more beautiful than Miss Bennet. Darcy, by contrast, found little pleasure in it, thought the guests plain, unfashionable, and uninteresting, and said that though Miss Bennet was pretty, she smiled too much. But Bingley's sisters designate Jane a sweet girl, which Bingley feels authorizes him to think of her as he chooses. Within a short walk of Longbourn lived the Bennet's friends, the Lucases. Sir William Lucas had made a small fortune in trade, an occupation for which he formed a disgust after he was granted a title of knighthood. Unshackled by business, he took his family to a house about a mile from Meryton and called it Lucas Lodge. His title, though, did not make him supercilious, and Sir William, an inoffensive, friendly, obliging man, thereafter occupied himself in being civil to all the world. The day after the assembly, the Miss Lucases make a customary appearance at Longbourn to talk over the ball. Mrs. Bennet has the civility to compliment Charlotte Lucas on being Bingley's first choice, but she quickly follows up this kindness by fishing for her to repeat the story of an eavesdropped conversation in which she heard Bingley call Jane the prettiest woman in the room. Charlotte then expresses sympathy for poor Lizzie, having to overhear herself described by Darcy as only tolerable. Mrs. Bennet declares that Lizzie ought never to dance with so proud and disagreeable a man. Jane characteristically comes to Darcy's defense— Charlotte excuses his pride on the grounds that so fine a man with such a fortune has a right to it. Mary delivers a small sermon on the distinction between pride and vanity. A young Lucas proclaims that if he were as rich as Darcy, he should not care how proud he was. And Lizzie confesses that she might more easily have forgiven Darcy's pride if he had not mortified hers.'